Good to see each one again. You have your Bibles open to the book of James, chapter 4, James, chapter 4. We're on a study uh, that we've entitled, The Price of Maturing as a Christian. This is our sixth lesson in this series. Today, I want to talk to you about submission to God makes a mature Christian. If you never totally submit yourself to God, there is no way you'll ever come to maturity in Jesus Christ. Now, as you remember, we ended chapter 3 with James stressing the importance of our gaining control of the tongue. As we've seen in that series or in that lesson there, the tongue has the power of life and death. The tongue, you know, is something that can get out of control, you know, and it's easily destroys things around us. It's linked to hell itself, James said, and it, it creates many problems in life. You know, um, James also said it deals a deathly poison. And the thing is, each and every one of us possess that thing that is called a tongue. That little flappy piece of meat between your cheek and the gum there, okay? That, that thing, James says, is one of the most dangerous things in the world. In fact, Paul said this to the church at Ephesus, do not let any, uh, uh, ho- uh, ho- any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is helpful for the building up of others according to their needs that it may be beneficial to those who listen in other words we have to gain control of our tongue Uh, James told us last week if not the tongue destroys families it destroys relationships and it destroys churches and listen a person will never mature in Jesus Christ if they do not have control of their tongue they're always causing problems in the church in families in friendships in all kind of relationships now as we get to chapter 4 James uh, emphasizes the strife that is so common among believers and is the direct result of the selfish desires and a lack of godly wisdom within their life. Uh, you know, he says this, you know, you know, from whence cometh wars and fightings among you? He asked that question and he says, where does these fights come from? Where was the, where does this conflict come from within your life? Now, I don't want you to miss this, and I'm going to make it clear here in just a moment. James is not talking to the lost of the world. James is talking to Christians. He is talking to believers in Jesus Christ. And he asked this question there in verse 1. You know, where does all these fights come from? What causes two brothers and sisters in Christ to fight with one another? So where's these wars come from? Where's these fightings come from among you? Now, he answers the question, come they not hence even of your own lust that war in your uh, members? Verse 2, you lust and have not, you kill and desire to have and cannot attain. You fight and you war, you have not because you ask not. Look, James makes it clear here as he asks the question, do you know where these fightings and these arguments come from in your life? Do you know why you're always warring with someone? Do you know why you can't get along with others? Do you know why you're always fighting with others in your life? And he answers that question. He says, he informs us that these fightings and these arguments that are in our life come from selfish desires within our life. In other words, what he's saying is, it's because you have to have things your way. 
You have to have everything your way. You have to have others do what you want them to do. He says, that's why you're always fighting. That's why you're always warring. Because you want others to accept your selfish desires. Now, again, he's not talking to the lost. He's not talking to that drunk laying out in the gutter. He's not talking to that drug addict that's got a needle stuck up their arm. He's talking about church people. Amen or me. Okay, I don't want to hurt no one's feelings. My gosh, that's the last thing I would do. But folks, let's just be honest with something. Let's just be honest with ourselves. And James is being honest. He says, if you have a problem always arguing with people, always warring with people, can't get along with people, you're a selfish person. It's because you got to have things your way. And I mean, he's clear about this. He says it comes from the selfish desires that war within you. James says that those selfish desires are so strong that you're, you're ready to even kill. You're ready to grab somebody by the throat in Jesus' name, of course, and pin them up against the wall. He says that's how mad you can get. That's how uncontrollable you can get because of those selfish desires that are in your life. Got to have things my way. It's so strong. He says you would kill and are jealous of other people. But you know what he says there? But you still can't get what you want. It doesn't do you no good to be that way is what James is saying. You're still not going to get what you want. You can do it all day long, he says, but you ain't going to get what you want. Instead of seeking God in prayer, what happens with many believers is they're driven by these selfish desires that are within their life. They, they, they seek fighting with one another. And you know what? I don't think James understands why we would do that. Why we who are children of God would war after one another. But he says it's all a result of those selfish desires within you that you're not willing to lay aside for someone else. You know, when the nation of Israel, boy, God was on them all the time because of their spiritual adultery that they done against him on a daily basis on a on a regular basis then in verse four as we get here here's what he emphasizes he emphasizes the fact that we as believers when we begin to give in to these selfish desires we're actually giving in to the things of the world and when we give in the things of the world and we commit ourselves to you know the things of the world rather than the things of god he says you're committing spiritual adultery And he says, you're no better than the nation of Israel in the years that they committed adultery against God. So here in James 4, we're going to see the sixth price that one must pay in order to become mature in Christ. Let's get started. First of all, paying the price of submission. Listen, it costs to be submissive to God. It costs to turn ourselves fully over to God. In verse 7, James makes a simple statement, submit yourself, therefore, to God. And when we learn to do this, that is to submit ourselves to God, folks, there's going to be some great benefits within our life. Great benefits within our life. In fact, when we truly submit ourselves to God, you know, it will allow us to do two things. The first thing that total submission to God will allow us to do, okay, is to escape. It it allows us to escape. Now, there's three things that we can escape when we learn to submit to God. 
The first is the flesh. Look at verses 1 through 3. We're going to get started here. Verses 1 through 3. We can learn to, to, to escape these fleshly desires. We can learn to escape having to have things my way. We can learn to escape these selfish desires that have us so controlled that we're willing to fight with others on a regular basis. That has us so under control, we have to have things our way. And if we don't have things our way, you know, we just want to grab somebody around the throat. Look here, from whence comes these wars and fightings among you? Come they not? He asks, answers the question. From these sinful lusts that war within your members. You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war. Yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lust. Look, the simple truth is selfish desires comes from the flesh. That's where if you have a problem with selfish desires, if you are a person that James is describing here is that you're always fighting with someone, you're always warring with someone, you just can't get along with others. James is saying it's a direct result of your flesh having control over you rather than the Spirit of God having control over you. No, we don't want to admit that, do we? Here James is making reference to those selfish desires that cause us to seek our way over the way of others. You know, it's like a two-year-old who wants every toy that another kid has. In fact, if you want to experience that, we still need workers in the nursery during the worship hour. And let me tell you one thing you will see, because three of them's mine in there, two two-year-olds and one one-year-old. And what you will see in there is those two-year-olds have to have the toy that another kid's having. Are you with me? If you don't believe that, volunteer to work the nursery next Sunday, okay? But that's, that's the way immature Christians are. And that's what James is talking about. It's like a two-year-old who wants every toy that other kids are playing with. It's a, it is selfish desires of the flesh that bring about these fightings and disagreements among God's people. I wanted to assure you, every church split that has ever happened has happened because of selfish desires by people within that church. i got to have things my way. No, i got to have things my way. No, your way is wrong. My way is right. Listen, folks, selfish desires, which are controlled by the flesh, destroys. It destroys families. It destroys churches. It destroys friendships. It destroys relationships. You see, if you want to gain control over the flesh, you must submit yourself totally to God or you will never gain control over that flesh. You'll never gain control over their selfish desires. When we learn to submit to God, we also escape the world. Okay, look at verse 4 and 5. You adulterers and adulteress, know ye not that the friendships of this world is enmity against God? Whoso therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain the spirit that dwelleth in us uh, that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? Look, for so many believers today, so many who call themselves Christians, 
So many church members today, the trend is they want the benefits of God, but still enjoy the pleasures of the world. Let me say that again. The trend for people today in our churches is to want the benefits of God. I want everything God has to offer me. But they're not willing to turn loose of the pleasures of the world. And they wonder why their life is a mess. They wonder why their life is a mess. But James is clear here in verse 4. When one wants God and the world, they're committing spiritual adultery. That's what I mentioned a while ago. If you're wanting the benefits of God, yet you don't want to turn loose of the world, you're committing spiritual adultery against God. And adultery is only going to bring about separation from God, not a relationship with Him. And we have to understand that. And when we give our heart to Jesus Christ in salvation, what you've done, if you're here this morning and you have been saved, when you gave your heart and your life to Jesus Christ, what happened is you entered a spiritual marriage with Him. You entered a spiritual marriage with Him. You became His bride. Now, now hold on a minute. When we seek the pleasures of the world and we're married to Jesus Christ and we, went all, we want all the benefits he has to offer, but we, we still want to have this relationship with the world, think about this. Think about this. It's no different than a man or a woman seeking pleasure outside their re, a marriage relationship. It's no different. It's the exact same thing as a man or a woman seeking the outside pleasures of a marriage relationship. And what does that cause? If anybody's ever been in a relationship where cheating took place, when adultery took place by the other partner, I will assure you, here's what happened. It caused separation in that relationship. Did it not? It causes separation. It causes division. And it causes discord. Now my point is this. When we commit spiritual adultery against God. And how do we do that? By you know, hanging on to the world. Wanting the pleasures of the world. Giving myself to the pleasures of the world. When we commit spiritual adultery against God. Trust me. It's going to cause separation. It's going to cause division. It's going to cause discord in your relationship. Just like a physical relationship in a marriage. Now the third thing we can escape. When we learn to submit to God. We can escape the devil. Okay. You can escape the devil. Look at verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Plain simple statement. Submit yourself to God. Say, Lord, I am yours. I am married to you. I, I, all I want is you. All I want is what you have to offer me. I don't want what the world has to offer because I understand that I'll be cheating on you by having to have what the, the pleasures of the world. So submit yourself, therefore, to God. What's he say here? Resist the devil. Now, see, I want you to don't miss something here. Just because you're submitted to God does not mean the devil is not going to tempt you. That's why he comes back and says, resist the devil. So submit yourself to God. The devil's still going to tempt you. The devil's still going to attack you. The devil is still going to try to trip you up. But resist him. Resist him. Now, look at this. 
and he will flee from you. When will he free, uh, flee from you? When you're totally submitted to God and you're resisting his temptation every day of your life. He's going to run. He's going to boogie. He's going to say, ain't no need wasting my time here. I'll go jack with old Gene. He's weaker than this. You, you see what James is saying? Submit yourself to God first. Then begin to resist the devil. That submission to God will give you the power and the desire to resist him. And when you do, he's going to flee from you. You see, for many within our churches, they seem, and some may, I may hit some of you here this morning with this thought, with this thought, but so many people within our churches, they face the devil when they get out of bed each morning. They face him throughout the day. And the devil seems to lay down with them at night. And then the whole process starts over the next day. Any of you feel that way? I wake up and there's the devil tempting me. You know, throughout the day, there's the devil on that shoulder. As I lay down at night, that old devil's on that pillow right beside me. I finally go to sleep and look over the next morning. And there he is again to start all over again. So many people within our churches are that away, folks. James says the problem is, here's the problem. You have not totally submitted yourself fully to God, therefore resisting that devil. Because if you totally submit yourself to God and resist him, and again, by James putting that resist there, it means he's still going to come at you. But he's not going to be there with you when you wake up in the morning. He's not going to be there all day with you. He's going to try to sneak in a little bit. He's not going to lay down with you at night. If you will resist him, James promises he'll flee from you. Now, will he come back? You better believe it. Remember when Jesus was being tempted in the garden? You know, three times the devil come out there, or only recorded three times anyway. Jesus would quote scripture, the devil would leave for just a little bit. What did Jesus do? He submitted himself to God. He resisted the devil. When he come to him with temptation, the devil left for a little bit. But then he'd come back. Jesus would resist again. He would leave again. Folks, that's the same thing in our life. He's going to come. But if we're fully submitted to God, we got the power within to resist him. To resist him. The question is, are we willing to? Are we willing to? You know, you've heard me say before, oh, Flip Wilson had it wrong. Now, some of you don't know who Flip Wilson is. But Flip Wilson was bad about saying, the devil made me do it. And some of you may have repeated that same thing to justify your actions. Listen to me. The devil cannot make a child of God do one single solitary thing. When we give in to the devil, it's a choice we make. Wednesday night in our Bible study, we talked about how choices have consequences. And a lot of people don't understand that choices has consequences. And when we choose to not resist the devil, folks, there's a consequence to that choice. And it's never a good consequence. Never a good consequence. Oh, let's see, where are we at here? Okay. 
Let's look at this thing. We're talking here about the devil. So when we fully submit ourselves to God and resist the devil, he will flee from us. So why will he have to flee? You say, Pastor, you're saying he's going to flee? No, James is saying that. I'm just quoting James. You know, because when we fully submit to God, don't miss this. Here's why the devil has to flee. When we're fully submitted to God, we're in the presence of God. Okay? And in the presence of God is one, thing, one place that Satan can't be unless God gives him permission to be. Numerous examples in the word of God. When Satan wanted to go after Job, what did he have to do? He had to be allowed in heaven to confront God and ask God for permission to go to Job. Okay? The only way he got into the presence of God was God to allow it. With old, with old Paul, okay, and Peter, you know. Uh, Peter was told, you know, the, the, that, that Satan, you know, asked permission to sift him as wheat. So the, in the presence of God, Satan can't be unless God gives him permission to be there. And when we're fully submitted to God, okay, we're in the presence of God. And we can overcome him. Now, the next thing here is submission to God allows us to enjoy three things of God. First of all, we can enjoy God's grace. Look at verse 6. But he, God, giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see, not only do we receive saving grace from God when we're initially saved. Paul said, for by grace are you saved through faith. So when we're first saved, we receive grace from God. We receive that initial grace that, in, that, that, that brings us in a relationship with God. But as we learn to submit to God and begin resisting the devil... We receive even more grace from God on a daily basis in order to live out our daily life. So we have all heard the definition of grace is God's unmerited favor. Everybody's heard that definition. What is grace? God, grace means God's unmerited favor. And that is true. Okay, that is true. Uh, and it's a good definition when it's talking about our initial salvation. However, the grace we receive on a daily basis, there's a better definition for that. And that is the power within to know and to do God's will. God gives us that grace on a daily basis to know and to do his will. So three things that we can enjoy in our life when we're submitted to God is that grace that he gives us on a daily basis. The idea here is the more we learn to submit to God, the more daily grace we receive and the easier it is to resist the devil. Why? Because that daily grace is the power within, which is the Holy Spirit that helps us to know and do God's will. And the more we submit, the stronger we get. Because we daily receive more of God's grace. The second thing that we can enjoy is God's promises. Look at verse 8. eight. As we submit to God and resist the devil, there's two promises. First of all, he promises his presence. Verse 8. Draw nigh or near to God. Now, don't miss this. You draw near to God. How do we, how do we draw near to God? How do we... 
get into the presence of God through prayer and His Word, through submission to Him. But if we'll draw near to God, (laughs) don't miss this, He'll draw near to us. He'll draw near to us. How do we draw near to God? How do we allow God to draw near to us? He goes on and he says, here's how you do it. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. What in the world does he mean by double-minded? You're wanting the blessings of God, but you're wanting to hold on to the world. That is a double-minded person. We would say today in East Texas, you want your cake and eat it too. Again, what have we done seeing when that's your attitude? You're committing spiritual adultery. And will spiritual adultery keep, get us in a relationship or keep us in a relationship with God? No, it will separate us from God. We won't be able to draw near to him. So as we submit to God and resist the devil, It's going to cause us to grow closer to God. And God promises that the closer we draw to him, the closer he will draw to us. And there's no place in the world, folks, that is a better place to be than in the presence of God. You know, how does one get in the presence of God? Here's what he says. By cleansing your hands, that is your outward deeds, and purifying your hearts, that is your inward thoughts and your inward actions. Now, the third thing is God's promises of his uplifting. Look at verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. You know, God promises something here that the human mind can't always understand. James begins by saying, humble yourselves in the sight of God. You know, to... The, the human mind, when we think of the word humble, we think of lowering ourselves. Okay? Lowering ourselves. But that's not the idea here. That's not the idea. If we lower ourselves, God can't lift us up. If we look at God and say, I'm nothing but a worm here, God will not be able to lift us up. But here's a thought. If you would notice the progression in James' writing, we submit to God. We resist the devil. We then draw closer to God. God then immediately draws closer to us. And when we're in his presence, we will become humble, resulting in our being lifted up in a spiritual way. That's the progression. Now, the third thing that submission to God will allow us to enjoy is God's control within our life. Or not not just in our life, in in, in all of our life. Look at verse 13. Go you now, you that say, okay, so there's some that say today or tomorrow I'll do something. Have you ever said, well, tomorrow I'll do that, you know, something you know you should get done today, but you say, well, there's a tomorrow, and if I don't get to it tomorrow, there's the next day, and if I don't get to it, don't shake your head, baby. I know that well. That's why I'm preaching it. I know that well, you know, she... She's got a list about this long of things I'm going to do tomorrow. Tim's got a list about this big of things I'm going to do tomorrow. John's got a list about this big of things I'm going to do tomorrow. But I'll get to them tomorrow. And I know some of you guys are the same way. Okay, so, okay. Let's don't stay there. You know, I want to preach, not meddle. 
Okay? But here's what he says. Today or tomorrow we'll go into such a city and continue there for one year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas, now here's James's answer to that attitude, to my attitude, that to that attitude, here's his answer. Whereas you know not what shall be on tomorrow. What is your life, James says? Here's what he says your life is. It's even a vapor that appeareth for just a little time and it vanishes away. Verse 15. For what we ought to say is, if the Lord will, we shall live to do this or that. I'm going to start just saying that, Mom. If the Lord's willing, I'll get on your list, okay? <laughs> I do got to go home, don't I? Okay, let's stop meddling and go to preaching, okay? But you see what James is saying? Let, let, let's talk about this just for a moment. Only God controls tomorrow. Three things about life. Only God controls tomorrow. Verse 13 says, Go ye now that say, Today or tomorrow we'll go in a city and continue there a year to buy and sell. Look, one of the greatest things about submission to God is our knowing that no matter what life throws at me today, I know that God holds tomorrow. Look, no matter what you're going through in life today, health problems, family problems, whatever it might be, what James is saying, understand that God holds tomorrow. Because you may think, man, that there's just no way possible. No way possible to get out of this medical problem I'm in, this family problem I'm in, this financial problem that I'm in. You know, understand, James says God holds tomorrow. God holds tomorrow. Let's talk about this just for a moment. One of the greatest things about submission is we understand that no matter what life throws at me today, God holds tomorrow. I know that should God grant me another day, that it will be a day that he is controlled. Of. He's in control of tomorrow. Understand that. No matter what you're going through today, God is in control of tomorrow. So he, he, he's there. God is, to, God is at tomorrow already in your life. In other words, it would be another way of saying that. God's already there. God's already there tomorrow. He's in control. And as long as he's in control, he promises that all things will work together for the good to those that love the Lord, those that are called according to his purpose. Never forget that God is in control of tomorrow in your life. So don't let today get you down and out because there's coming a tomorrow that God is already there and that God is already in control of. Now he says in verse 13, uh, 14 that we've got to understand life is as a vapor. He said it appears for just a little while and then it's gone. It just dissipates. It, 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 it's just gone. Now... Listen to what I'm having to say here. Because life is as a vapor, we must make sure we make the best of the day that we have. Don't miss this. 
In these last days, Satan is doing all he can to destroy the church. And one way he's destroying the church or attempting to, Jesus said he had never, the gates of hell never prevail against it. But one way that Satan is making it hard on the church and difficult is through destroying families. Destroying families. Fighting and warring among families. Now, if life is as a vapor and it peereth for a short time and then it's gone, should we not, should we not make the best of the day we have as families today? Think about that. Should we not make the best of the time we have today since life is as a vapor? You know what that means? It means that some of us sitting right here today may not be here tomorrow. It means that I I may fall out here before I finish this. Why? Because life is as a vapor. You know, if you ever noticed, uh, well, when it's cold outside and Katie, there there she is, she's always, she's amazed about how when it's cold outside, you can breathe and see the the vapor, that just fascinates her. I mean, she just flabbergasted over that. She'll go, watch it, Daddy, watch it, Daddy. That's a prime example of life. Because what happens to that breath of air that you blow out and you see the smoke or whatever, vapor, whatever that is? What is you see it and then it's gone, right? It looks good while it's there. But then it's gone. And that's what James is saying. Your life is just as that vapor. It appears for a little while. And then it's gone. So should you not make the best of today? Since we don't know what holds tomorrow. Since we don't know. Since life is as a vapor. Look, no one knows if the next breath they take is going to be their last. So should we not live like it should be? Should we not live like this next breath I take should be my last one? Should we not make the most of every day with our friends? Should we not make the most of every day with our loved ones? Should we not make the most of every day with our families? Should we not make the best of the day that we have with the people of God rather than arguing and, and fighting among ourselves? That's what James is talking about here in this chapter. You're fighting and you're warring. Families, friends, churches. And he says life is so short. Shouldn't you be making the best of the day? Rather than the fighting and the warring against one another. Now again, remember James is still talking here about arguing and fighting among God's people. And then he says your life is as a vapor. Not going to be here long. So maybe you should make the best of the time you have. The final thing is this. God's will will prevail. Look at verse 15. For you ought to say, if the Lord will, okay, I will do this or I will do that. Look, many people have their lives all planned out. 
You know, me and Debbie had our life all planned out. Did we not? Yep. I was going to retire from the fire department. You know, we was just going to travel. Right, baby? We had our life all planned out. But what we failed to realize is God has a plan for our life. Now, if we travel, we have to travel in a 32-foot camper with 11 people. It ain't funny. Yes, it is. Wow. You know where we failed? We failed to realize God had a plan for our life. Look, you can make all the planning you want in your life, but God holds tomorrow. And his will will prevail. You don't know the things we have to sacrifice with one another because of God's will. Because of God's will. But you know, there's no place I would rather be than in the will of God. No place. And there should be no place you would rather be than in the will of God. Whatever that will is. Many people have their lives all planned out. But their lives many times conflict with God's will. And rather than just saying, okay, this is God's will, I'm going with it. What do they do? They're in conflict, so they fight God. That's not what I wanted to do. Not the way I had it planned out here. You know, can I still have my will and your will? Nope. Don't work that away. It doesn't work that away. Let me just close with this. You can say your will, or you're going to do that, but ultimately it's God's will that's going to prevail. God's in control, and that is something we can enjoy when we're in submission to him. James goes on to say in the final two verses that, you, that, 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 that they were rejoicing and boasting about their fighting in Oregon. Think about that. James says, you're boasting about your arguing. You're boasting about your fighting. You're boasting about, I won this time, you know, that they, they didn't win. He said, you're boasting about this. How sad that people can get to the point in their life with their selfish desires that they just have to have things that away. And when it does go that away, they beat their chest and say, I won. Can I tell you something? You've lost. If that's your attitude, you're lost. Look what, look what James has to say here in closing. James says this to those type of people, those who believe that away. Your boasting is a sin. Your boasting is evil in the sight of God. And what you need to do, rather than beating your chest and say, yes, I got it my way, you need to submit to God. And you need to resist the devil that is always in your ear telling you that things have to be your way. And the reason is because you don't know what tomorrow holds. Again, life is as a vapor. And your life could be gone that quick. <sighs> Can I tell you something that I think is worse than your life being gone? With that attitude, I think what's worse than that is the person you had that attitude against, them being gone, and now you've got to live with that the rest of your life. 
It's always in the back of your mind, what if? What if I would have made things right? What if I didn't have to have things my way? What if those selfish desires didn't control my life to the point that I just had to have it my way? And then when it happened my way, I was proud that I won. What does James say? God says that's evil. James says God says that's sin. And rather being proud of yourself, he says you need to be ashamed of yourself. I had a lady one time who's, and I'll close with this. I hadn't planned on telling this story, but I'm going to tell it anyway. Her dad was an alcoholic, not a good dad whatsoever. She held resentment against her dad for years. Her dad died without her ever making it right to him, rather than never forgiving him for that. She come to me wanting to know what, what to do because this was now haunting her. As this was now haunting her. That she never forgave her dad. My counsel to her was, what would you want to say to your dad if he was sitting right here with you? She began to tell me what all she would say. I said, write that down. Write everything down that you would... Say to your dad if he was right here. She wrote it all down. I said, now take that to the graveyard where he's at. Sit there beside his grave and read this to him. Read this to him. Now, could he hear it? No, let's just be honest. He couldn't hear it. But that wasn't for him to hear. That was to get it off of her chest. That I should have forgave dad. While he was here. And that was able to get it off of her chest. We don't know what tomorrow holds. So if there's arguing and fighting and bickering. And a selfish spirit that just says things has got to be my way. God is saying to us this morning, let it be his way. Forgive. Move on. Submit yourself to God. And when the devil comes with those selfish desires, resist him. And he's going to flee from you. Let's pray.